Hi there, and welcome to this episode of We Work Europe, the podcast from ESA, the European Centre for Workers' Questions. In this episode, we'll talk to several experts from the ESA network and scientists from the US about the Amazon system, which is posing a threat to workers' rights, not just in the European Union, but right across the world. We'll also have a look at how the EU is dealing with these challenges. We Work Europe The podcast of the European Centre for Workers' Questions It is the 10th of December, 2021, Edwardsville, Illinois, USA. What started as a typical busy Friday for workers at the Amazon Fulfillment Center turns into a tragic night. Clouds are racing across the sky. The wind is blowing hard. It would be an understatement to say the weather is rough. At around 5 p.m., local authorities send messages to people in and around Edwardsville, putting them on alert. Two and a half hours later, the alert changes to a warning that people should seek shelter immediately. A tornado is approaching. It only lasts a couple of minutes, but that is long enough to destroy almost half of the Amazon building and take the lives of six people working there. After realising that lives had been lost, and once the first wave of shock and grief abated, this disaster has raised questions. In particular... Why did these six people die, although an alert had been given hours before? The US's Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, is investigating that right now. The family of a delivery driver has accused the administrators of the warehouse of not having an emergency plan in place and not evacuating employees from the fulfilment centre. The company claims that site leaders brought the employees to a safe place inside the building in time and that the building met all the safety standards. In the aftermath, Amazon has granted demands made in a petition by Amazonians United, a movement of Amazon workers fighting for better working conditions. These demands include setting up a bad weather hotline and the policy of still paying workers if a shift is cancelled due to bad weather as well as the possibility of appealing against being fired. While workers have been concerned about aspects of their working conditions for some time, the recent disaster made them more urgent. At the Illinois Fulfillment Centre, a delivery driver was instructed by her supervisor to continue making deliveries despite the tornado warning, according to the news site Bloomberg. They published text messages sent between the driver and her supervisor where the supervisor threatened to fire her, claiming that no announcement to stop work had been issued by the Amazon management. Amazon's press officer stated that the supervisor's misconduct will have consequences, and that the supervisor is employed by a subcontractor and not officially by the company. Amazon pledged to assist workers and families and donated $1 million to the Edwardsville Community Foundation. Critics, like Ellen Reese, are not satisfied with that. 
it exemplifies the ways in which Amazon has not been considerate enough of workers' safety and their health. You see this in terms of the very high injury rates, but also in terms of the buildings not being maintained, not being safe, or if there's a tornado saying, hey, let's hold back, right? Instead, sort of pushing workers as much as they can to get the deliveries out under any conditions, but yeah, with a real toll in terms of workers' health and safety. Ellen Reese is Professor of Sociology at the University of California, Riverside, and co-editor of The Cost of Free Shipping, Amazon in the Global Economy a book investigating the company that supplies millions of people worldwide with books, toys and electronics. Reese and her team have analysed the rise of Amazon, as well as the methods the company uses and the role it plays on a global scale. With a gross domestic product surpassing that of various nation-states and a workforce of more than 1.6 million workers, Amazon has a huge impact on the global economy and the way we see work today, and maybe in the future. In her book, Ellen Reese talks about the company standing for its own kind of business model, Amazon capitalism. Part of that is a distinct style of capitalism that relies a lot on automation and one-click instant consumerism, this increasing expectation that our goods are delivered home and not just within a week, but with in the same day, right? And and with free expedited shipping, which has enormous consequences, you know, for our communities and for workers as well, but also surveillance technology um, that's surveilling its workers, but also us as consumers. On the one hand, Amazon is an enormous employer, growing all the time and offering lots of jobs a chance for people with a low level of education to gain work as the entry conditions are low. You have to consent to being monitored and tracked in terms of how many items you move in a certain time in order to meet a special rate. A full-time job regularly means 10 hours a day, physical work, hardly any toilet breaks. Every worker has their own little position in the chain and they can be identified quickly by a badge everyone has to wear around their necks a system aligned for optimization. This is common not only in the USA. Depending on the color of your badge, the general manager in the highest position wears a black badge with gold edging. Then you have the normal workers, who wear orange or blue. There are five different categories of normal workers. Those who accept the goods, those who put the goods on the shelves, the pickers using a handheld scanner and collecting the goods from the shelves, the packers working at the packing station, and finally those who sort the parcels and put them in the right delivery trucks. This is Norbert Faltin. He was part of the Works Council at Amazon in Rhineland-Palatinate, Germany, for seven years. At the ESA seminar, The System of Amazon, held by Nell Breuninghaus early in 2022, he shared his experiences of the badge system at Amazon, which he says is dehumanizing. Everybody is marked. For example, if you are sitting in the canteen, you immediately know who you are dealing with. 
80% of the workforce are the normal workers. They have to cower when somebody with the better badge emerges. When the former employee says cowering, he means that workers have to be very careful about what they do and how they act when they are at work. 40% of them are employed on a temporary basis. During their trial period, no one can take time off due to illness or they'll lose their job. Norbert Faltine has seen it all, and finally, he got sick too, and quit. For several years now, employees have been trying to improve their working conditions at Amazon, without any great success. Taking their problems to the Human Resources Department often ends up in a runaround, says Ellen Rees. That was coming up a lot in the interviews that my research team collected, that they filed a complaint, and and sometimes these uh, involved issues of sexual harassment even, right, that are clearly illegal. Yeah, they felt like their complaints were not taken seriously. They sort of got the runaround. It was a delayed response. You know, I think workers tend to make more gains when they collectively organize, whether that be through formal unions or independent worker organizations. The truth is, they have tried it in the past. Norbert Faltine remembers one day when Amazon employees in Germany collectively went on strike. The management ordered that temporary workers be brought in, but the problem was that any new employees had to be approved by the Works Council before starting work. Norbert Faltine called the police to prevent the company from doing something illegal, with the consequence that the temporary workers got contracts with Amazon. The striking workers gained nothing. When it comes to employment, it seems that Amazon is not interested in change. On the contrary, the company uses methods to limit the power of employees worldwide and prevent them from joining forces in works councils and especially in trade unions. Parcel deliveries is a key sector for Amazon's business model. Prior to Amazon, this was dominated in the United States by FedEx and UPS, both companies with labour unions. Amazon has found a way to bypass that, explains Jake Ali Mohammed Wilson. Amazon decided that they were going to essentially grow and disrupt the package parcel delivery market by hiring small companies, delivery service providers uh, or partners, to hire groups of workers. These are not employees for Amazon, despite wearing Amazon uniforms and driving Amazon branded trucks. These workers are contingent workers, so Amazon's not responsible for these workers. Uh, it also prevents unions because they limit the size of the fleet. And there's another group of workers that are, are much more like gig workers. Amazon flex drivers are very much like the Uber drivers of prime delivery. These drivers use their own vehicles and drive around city streets delivering packages to consumers' doorsteps. Together with Ellen Reese. Jake Ali Mohammed Wilson is co-editor of the book The Cost of Free Shipping and professor of sociology at California State University, Long Beach. He sees a threat to democracy if more businesses take up Amazon's model because it is a top-down structure with a lot of employees being silenced or replaced if they do not toe the line. Most of the workers don't see the company's profit reflected in their paychecks while a few people in top management get richer and richer. 
Collective bargaining could be an option, not only for saving employees from precarious situations, but also as a sign of participation. It is absolutely connected to this neoliberal attack on democratic institutions. Collective bargaining is more than just the relationship between workers and the bosses or the owners. It's the direct connection to democracy in the economy. And if that is jeopardized, uh, we're in trouble. In May 2021, the European Parliament's Committee on Employment and Social Affairs held a hearing titled Amazon's Attacks on Fundamental Workers' Rights and Freedom. The company was accused of violating European work and privacy laws. The hearing was attended by people from politics, science, labour unions, but Amazon, as the accused, failed to appear. Amazon's constant lack of responsibility is a problem for the European Union. The EU stands for values that it wishes to see reflected in the economy. It uses social dialogue to this end as an instrument to bring employers, employees and social partners together to talk about working conditions. Jake Ali Mohammed Wilson is not surprised that Amazon does not want to participate in that. It benefits from having as little regulation as possible. But the time has come to do something about it. The EU is going to have to flex its muscles, have some severe uh, repercussions for this anti-democratic corporate behavior. There needs to be a global commission. Amazon has tended to go to various countries and find out the local and regional laws that they can you know, skirt or get away with. Um, I think there needs to be more coordination globally. And I think the EU could be a space that needs to you know, have a tribunal where workers and affected communities get to testify how Amazon, for example, is disproportionately employing migrants and workers without rights, workers who are dispossessed by war. This is eroding not only European economy, but society. It's an attack on the well-being of the collective. The case of Amazon could represent a breaking point for Europe a problem that won't be easy to solve, guesses Norbert Faltin. As Europe stands for democracy and freedom, it will take time to discuss matters with the countries concerned in order to find a solution. The former shop steward is not confident that this will happen in the near future, because Amazon has too much power in Europe. Europe is the company's second biggest market, globally speaking, and Amazon is not the only big player here. Google Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, they're all one of a kind. We are talking about billions in turnover and billions in tax rebates. In Europe we have the right of veto. And as long as Luxembourg benefits and the Netherlands and Ireland use their veto, there won't be any changes to European tax laws. And I don't see a European Works Council at Amazon right now. We won't manage that. Das werden wir nicht schaffen. Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon, is the richest man in the world, net worth $190 billion. He started with a bookshop and is now trying to open up the market for space travel. Meanwhile, millions of employees work under harsh conditions to enable this man's wealth, fulfilling expectations that goods will be delivered as fast as possible. The price for that is not visible in the products people receive on their doorsteps. It is visible in the experience of the pickers, packers and delivery drivers, and maybe also 
in the six people who died in the tornado in December 2021. The size of Amazon, the scale is so enormous. It has changed the way that goods and products and labor and work operates around the world. They've managed to basically build this empire that is a monopoly, that is uh, very secretive, that small governments have opened up their consumer data to this company. It's led to record profits for the uh, stockholders and shareholders of this company. Jake Ali Mohammed Wilson hopes that in the future, Amazon will take more responsibility for their workers and ultimately for the whole of society. This podcast episode was facilitated by support from the ESA member centre, Nell Breuninghaus, in Herzogenrath, Germany, which held the seminar The System of Amazon. For more information about their work, please visit nbh.de. The System of Amazon is also featured in an article in the first 2022 issue of the ESA magazine. If you like We Work Europe, do give us a five-star rating and don't forget to subscribe. Also, if you have any interesting topics or feedback for us, just contact ESA at ESA.org. We Work Europe is the podcast from ESA, the European Centre for Workers' Questions, which receives financial support from the European Union. This podcast was narrated by me, Rebecca Sharp. Script and production by Escucha, Audio Identity.